from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. It's, it's something I think about every day, um, especially with, you know, recent news. And, and if you're tuning into the podcast over the next couple of weeks, you're really going to start hearing some very gripping tales. My daughter called and she said, look, I really think you ought to, maybe we really need to be talking to him now. You know, I think they have something that we might want to know about. The John Wayne Gacy theory is something that, as I'm talking to it, I'm getting chills. I'm Sarah Fenske. 54 years ago this month, three boys went missing in Hannibal, Missouri. Brothers Billy and Joey Hogue and their friend Craig Dowell were last seen carrying shovels and flashlights. They said they were going to explore an underground spot known as Murphy's Cave, and they were never heard from again. St. Charles filmmaker Frankie Cambaletta and his co-host Chris Ketters have now devoted three years to researching the case in a podcast. They just dropped the first episode of their third season this past week. On May 10, 1967, three boys ages 11, 13, and 14 went missing in Mark Twain's hometown of Hannibal, Missouri. In season three of The Lost Boys of Hannibal, Boots on the Ground, we discover new information and details into the boys' disappearance. These are boys, little boys. You don't know what happened. You should try to find out what happened. Nothing should deter you from that. So, yeah, it angers me a little bit. When the deputy mentions these trees would have been here 51 years ago, that's when I immediately knew who we were looking for. Join us as we journey into Hannibal's biggest mystery to find the truth about what happened to Billy, Joey, and Craig. And that is from the third season of the podcast, The Lost Boys of Hannibal. And joining us today to talk about it is Frankie Campoletta. He is a local filmmaker and podcaster. Frankie, welcome. Thank you for having me. So tell us about these lost boys. Who were they? They were the all-American child and, and, and boy in 1967 Hannibal, Missouri. This was an area of... Uh, Mark Twain's famous books, and these kids lived up to everything uh, from caves and from river travels and hiking and exploring. Um, Joey was even a really big astronomer and labeled himself as an amateur astronomer, hmm. if you look through his, uh, his writings. So they were just really exploratory kids. Remember, we don't have video games at this point. You know, we really don't have cable. We are outside and we're enjoying nature, and these kids... Uh, basically ruled the day when it came to caving. Hmm. So there's a pair of brothers. This is Billy and Joey Hogue. They were ages 11 and 13. And then their friend Craig Dowell was 14. Uh, It sounds like they were pretty adventurous, outdoorsy kind of kids. Were any of them considered to be troublemakers? No. Um, They got in trouble because I think their 
exploratory ways led into um, hours where they were supposed to be home and, and time for supper and stuff. So mm-hmm. um, the South Side of Hannibal, the South Side kids, I mean, to this day, all the families pretty much know each other. And it's pretty interesting to be in Hannibal and like, oh, yeah, I know that last name. Oh, yeah, I know that family. And so they would basically get together. And it there really wasn't clicks to any of our research. They were just a bunch of kids. And if boys were available, then they did these hikes and, ex- and, and, and ex- explorations throughout the area. Hmm. So these were kids. Nobody had a suspicion they were into anything tawdry, nothing like that. They were kids who just loved being out there. What do we know about what happened? This is on Wednesday, May 10th, 1967, before they disappeared. Well, we know that week that that Joey and and Billy had been in the Roadcut Caves, which is now Highway 79. Hmm. Um, They have explored a couple different things. And when they got home, their father and mom were not too happy that they were playing around that construction site. So they were given a talking to, and they were actually grounded on Wednesday night, and they were not to leave the house and the area for their their doings on the night before. Um, But something uh, something happened, and we're really trying to understand what Joey and Billy uncovered because it was something new, that it was was bigger than Murphy's Cave. And although they were reported being seen in Murphy's Cave at around 4.30 that day, they were not in Murphy's Cave at the last report. The last report puts them at 5.15 p.m. at the second terrace on Lover's Leap, which is a famous, iconic place to go and look over it's the most beautiful view, in my opinion, in Missouri. And so they're last seen on that day. But we do have one report that Joey and Billy were talking to one of their friend's moms about something new they had discovered, and they wanted to take um, their kids with them. And, of course, they said no. Mm. And had she not said no, we might be looking for five missing boys. Mm. So, um, yes. So you mentioned these road-cut caves, and this had to do with a construction site that ended up building a highway. Um, Mm -hmm. Why is that significant in terms of um, just the mystery surrounding what might have happened to these boys? Well, it falls into the true crime sector. When when you have the expansion of highways, we saw an explosion in true crime. We saw an explosion of uh, serial killers and opportunistic killers. Um, We were able to travel um, a lot faster and and just basically drive through towns. At that point, a lot of roads would have been shut off, and there was one way in, one way out. So if somebody was traveling through and was an opportunistic killer at that point, it would have been an easy grab for them coming down because there wasn't a lot of people out on the road correct? Hmm. So you're not getting a lot of that bypass traffic. Um, Another big thing about 1967 is that road cut um, is is done with a company at the time, which they're no longer around, but it was J.A. Tobin. And at that time, they had about four pending lawsuits as well. So there is some mystery behind maybe something occurred on that road cut with those kids, and they really didn't want to get into more legal troubles. Now, that's conjecture. We don't have a lot of supporting evidence. We just have the company's history at this point, but that is a path that a lot of our listeners and audience have kind of drawn to. Um, So at that point, yes, the highway is big for these kids because when they cut that road, they start seeing new cave openings. And of course, if you've been to Murphy's Cave a hundred times and you see something new, you're going to want to explore it. Hmm. So I understand the leading theory of of what might have happened to them is that the construction might have caused a cave collapse and that these things would be related in that this would have been completely accidental, but they were told not to go back to this cave because their parents feared just that, that that there could be some sort of 
uh, something being detonated or, or thing, Earth being moved, and this could have affected uh, the subterranean landscape. Is, is that the thinking there? Exactly. And we have an incredible uh, professor and um, geologist um, in Julie Angel who is giving us so much information. And you had mentioned right before we got on about sinkholes. There is a sinkhole right there in Hannibal, right where these boys were. Mm-hmm. So it is possible that they were on the other end of that, that they were below when they got into one of these caves and it did collapse around them. They were dynamiting that day, um, which for me, this would never happen today with OSHA and MSHA. They wouldn't be doing that with a neighborhood. But back then, we didn't have pretty much those types of they were just trying to get the road done. Mm-hmm. So it is possible. It is a leading theory that, I mean, the, um, the mother really believed that something happened on that road, that they were possibly crushed by the road or a large uh, movable equipment, a loader, um, something might have crushed the kids. You have to understand that those equi- that equipment is usually run by two people. And mm-hmm. if you don't have a spotter, you really can't see what's in front of you, nor are you going to hear anything. So it is a big possibility that they are still in the road cut. So if that had happened, um, you know, with people knowing what was going on there that day and there being an extensive search after the fact, would their bodies have been found likely? Well, that, that is actually where our podcast begins, right? A lot of our podcast is focused on the William Karras and Tex Yoakum reports. Now, Tex Yoakum was the one that basically tore up that road, and he pretty much went an additional 25 yards outside of what 79 was supposed to be, and it stayed that way. To this day, when you take Highway 79 and you're, and you're traveling, you will see that to the right of you or to the left of you, based on the direction you were going, there's an additional 25 yards that's off to the side now. That's because of Tex Yoakum. And Tex Yoakum was a person that understood his job, knew what he was doing. And he even said, if they're in this road cut, they then then I've done my job and I've failed. But I'll tell you right now, these kids were never in this road cut. And hmm. that really lent to a lot of suspicion as to, well, if they're not there, they dug up over five different holes and a collapsed cave that was in the road and they didn't find anything. Hmm. So that's where so much of this conjecture comes in. I understand that what first prompted your interest in this mystery was the idea that this might have been an opportunistic killing on the part of John Wayne Gacy. Tell us about that theory. The John Wayne Gacy theory is something that, as I'm talking to it, I'm getting chills. This was somebody that is, some, for some reason, revered in some true crime circles. I, we do not focus on serial killers as heroes. We focus on the victims. And when you're talking about somebody that scathing as a, as a John Wayne Gacy, um, it's not only horrific to think of how these boys end it, but also the idea that somebody would hunt Um, these local kids that everybody loved. I mean, they were popular kids. John Wayne Gacy's theory comes into it in 1967. Um, It is a possibility that he was traveling through and from Hannibal. He was a big member of the JCs at this point. And so JCs were all over in recruitment. And as you know, in the recent documentary, Devil in Disguise, they really talk about what the JCs at that point were doing. They were sharing smut films and stag films and eight millimeter films. And so he would have been able to recruit people with such uh, paraphernalia. Hmm. Had he been in the Hannibal area that week, it makes sense because he was a person that was very close to his mother. And really the only way to get to Arkansas from where he was living in Waterloo, Iowa, is through Hannibal. Hmm. So it's very possible that he could have made this trip, found the boys on Wednesday, 
did what he did and moved on to Arkansas. And this was something that we are now learning that it's possibility. So this theory is what originally got you looking into this case. Now that you've spent three years digging into it, does that theory still hold a lot of water for you? Um, recently, it holds a lot of water, and I, I get a little choked up with it because I, I, you know, you always want explorers to go out with, with what they love. You mm-hmm. know, you hear people going to Mount Everest and they perish, but you know what? That was their drive. That's what they wanted to do. Um, when you talk about John Wayne Gacy involved in this, he's very much a part of the story. As much as I try to debunk him in season two, uh, the documentary that just hit really kind of sheds light on maybe he didn't operate always alone. Maybe there were different circles that he might have been in, and that circle might have breached Hannibal, Missouri, Mm -hmm. and there could have been others involved. So John Wayne Gacy is still a major player in The Lost Boys. Now, the timeline is kind of iffy, right? He gets indicted in 68. He sodomizes a boy by the name of Voorhees, uh, and he is sentenced to 10 years in Waterloo, Iowa, but he wouldn't serve his time till 68. So there is a window of time where he's in Waterloo and he's running three KFCs for his father-in-law when all these charges go down during a heavily debated race between him running for president of the JCs. And so a lot of people speculated that the the sodomy charge was this, um, you know, trying to get the political win over an opponent. And so that came to uh, fruition in Waterloo. Hmm. So yeah, it, it's definitely part of the case still. But you have to also understand and factor in people like Ray Hatcher, that is still around the area, that this is, this is a possibility for Ray Hatcher, who is from St. Joe, Missouri. This is a person that killed in Missouri. This is a person that escaped law and had loopholes through psychiatric wards and would be on the streets killing again. So although we have local suspects too, um, there are a lot of people in that mix for the Arpatonistic. Right now we're pretty split 50-50 between a a real true crime and between possibly a cover-up with the road cut. (laughs) But they are not in Murphy's Cave. We can almost rule that out completely. We're talking today to Frankie Cambaletta. His podcast is The Lost Boys of Hannibal. It just dropped its its third season. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll continue this conversation with Frankie when we come back. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. back to our conversation. We're talking today to Frankie Cambaletta. He's a local filmmaker and podcast host. And for the past three years, he's been exploring the Lost Boys of Hannibal in a podcast. The third season dropped earlier this month. Now, Frankie, in the first episode of season three, uh, which just dropped last week, you speak at length with Denise Hogue. She's a younger sister of Joey and Billy Hogue, two of the boys who disappeared. Denise was just five when that happened. Let's listen as Denise introduces herself on your show more than five decades later. As you know, the anniversary's coming up, and it'll be 54 years. And usually this time of year, you know, we get a little little sad, you know, brings up memories. You get to thinking not just of the boys, but of the family members that are no longer with us. And again, that's Denise Hogue. She's a sister of two of the Hannibal boys who've never been found. I also want to play her comments about what moved her from skepticism about this podcast to being willing to talk to you and Chris. 
Um, my daughter has been following you all and, re- and listening to everyone, and she goes, I really think you ought to listen to this podcast. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And she said it several times. I'm like, no, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't care to listen to it. My niece even um, reached out to me and asked me if I would talk to you all, and I'm like, no, I will not. I just felt like people want to make something, make money off of us, and I'm not about that. You know, if somebody wants to make money later, if we ever find them, I don't, I don't care. But I want it to be about my family, not about fame and money. Correct. And I didn't feel like anybody had us at their, you know, at their best interest. For you guys. Right. Yeah. But then I, um, my daughter called and she said, look, I really think you ought to, maybe we really need to be talking to him now. You know, I think they have something that we might want to know about. And that, again, is Denise Hogue, as featured on the podcast, The Lost Boys of Hannibal. Frankie, that must have felt like a really important thing um, to have the family not just okay with this, but to have them on board and participating. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they live with this every day. And Denise and Candace have basically become family. I mean, I I call her Aunt Denise and, and cousin Candace. And Candace is really the one that kind of brought the John Wayne Gacy theory back into me. And she was the one that really leaned on me and gave me a lot of research, a lot of things to read. Hmm. Um, having Denise there. Now, Denise is five when the boys go missing. And and she would really see a lot of tragedy within the Hogue family as a young child. And she has stayed strong through all these years and is persistent in finding them. And, and they've been doing this for 54 years. And me and Chris only jumped on board about three years ago. So a lot of the research that we did, we are constantly bouncing um, back and forth to them. And, and now with season three, we we approve everything through them. Uh, mm-hmm. We go and make sure that we're not um, overstepping our bounds or also just putting out false information. They were really hurt by a local person that wrote a book about it and then moved away. And just really, um, they, they felt the full extent of that. And this is when me and Chris are just starting our podcast. So there was a lot of um, conflicting. So we chose not to reach out to the family right away. We wanted them to know that we were not doing this for profit. The only profit shares that we're doing is we do have a Patreon, um, and all that money is going toward the search for the boys. And mm-hmm. a lot of new things will be happening as we start working with um, the Rawls County Sheriff, who's been just an incredible human being, an incredible man, incredible deputies that have been working with us to help find these boys. And so local law enforcement is involved, and we support them, and, and they support us in the work that we're doing, and we're working together to try to find out um, if any of these roads to the opportunistic killer pan out. And mm-hmm. just to have the hoags involved with that and, and, and really celebrating law enforcement. And it was crazy because when law enforcement kind of came through for us, it was the week where you're supposed to celebrate law enforcement. So everything kind of mm-hmm. came hand in hand, and it was just a really good good week for us um, for a podcast that's trying to do a little bit more than just tell a story. Mm-hmm. So in this third season, uh, the theme of this is boots on the ground. What do you mean by boots on the ground? Well, we have we have. Um, Well, we have the law enforcement that's with us, and we also have Julie Angel's team who will be exploring new cave openings. Um, As as of right now, we can't give away a lot of the information through the sheriff's department, but um, this season will 
maybe mark the end of the search. It is very possible that we could become closer than any other individual has in league with the Hogue family uh, to find out what happened to these boys. And unfortunately, um, it's leaning right now toward more of a true crime opportunistic mm-hmm. killer than it is a caving. And, and, so, and as you were saying, that's that's an outcome you didn't you didn't want. You were hoping this could have been they were on an adventure and it was just an accident. Is that hard to, to come to grips with that? It's, it's something I think about every day, um, especially with, you know, recent news. And, and if you're tuning into the podcast over the next couple of weeks, you're really going to start hearing some very gripping tales. Um, some of it's in our trailer already with our good friend, Tara Otten, who has really come forward and talked about some things that she's been involved with. And so when when you look at you know, this podcast as a whole, it's a culmination of not only efforts that have been done before us, but the efforts that are being done right now. And so everything counts, right? Even Tex Yoakum, his grandson, Rich Yoakum, is involved in this dig. It is so family-oriented and is so many people of Hannibal that lived through the last 54 years still want to be a part of this search. Mm. So I am humbled by the support we have from the Hannibal community. I want to mention you're primarily based in St. Charles, but you make frequent trips to Hannibal to the point that now you're doing your work um, as a software designer. You're actually working a bit out of a hotel in Hannibal. Have you come to appreciate this town during all the time that you've spent there? I love Hannibal, Missouri. I I think it's just a fun, quaint town. And there's so many fun things to do aside from, you know, the mystery that surrounds the Lost Boys. But there are so many great restaurants and there's so many great outings and there's so many things that you could still explore. You could still do Mark Twain's cave. You could still do Cameron Cave. Um, You can't do Murphy's Cave. That's closed off to the public and has been. Um, But there's so many exploring opportunities you have for hikes there's even a bat cave that if you get the right permission you can go down there with um, the right people and and check that out and it's just a fun town It, it really never stopped being fun i mean there's a great brewery there there's all the excitement they have car shows like all the car shows are coming there's one big one on june 4th weekend at carlox hmm. um carlox cars so we'll be down there with a couple of our cars from our because shift is our main company who has muscle cars so we come down to car shows and stuff and that's hmm. how we promote our podcast and stuff so it's just a great town and yeah i mean i still got to pay the bills, so i gotta still do my real job <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry you're still having to do that day job, but it's great to see the podcast having all this success. Uh, I, I've seen some numbers where you started with nine subscribers. Now, in the last month alone, 25,000 downloads. This is really taking off. And, it's crazy. And how wonderful if you could go from the Lost Boys of Hannibal to having the Found Boys of Hannibal. I know that's your ultimate goal there. That is the hope. Well, Frankie Campbellette, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. You guys are doing a great job, and I appreciate you featuring us. Thank you so much. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.